A good haircut can be a game changer. I mean, everybody wants to look their best for those social media pics, right? So get yourself to Sport Clips at Sport Clips Haircuts. They hair do like no one else hair does. See what they did there? Not only is it the home of champion haircuts, but they've also made relaxing and unwinding the name of the game. Level up your haircut with the MVP haircut experience. It's a spa day for your follicles. Check this out. You get a seven pressure point massaging shampoo along with a perfectly steamed hot towel all while sports plays on the TV. Does it get any better than that? No. You can want it all and have it all at Sport Clips. It's a game changer. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The following program is a PodcastOne.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzy. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. The pot of thunder and rock and roll. This is the People's Podcast The remedy for boredom has arrived. Let's go for a ride. Well, he's got gold chains and hair like a dream. He's definitely the coolest on the whole A-team. There's just one question. Where is he from? Chris Jericho invented Mr. T's mom. Don't forget, no matter whatever ails ya, Chris Jericho invented Mr. T's mom. All right, actor, comedian, David Koechner is here with us today. You know David, champ kind from the Anchorman movies. Whammo! And yeah, we're going to hear some crazy, hilarious stories from the making of those movies, plus all of the ridiculous and fun things he went through being a cast member on Saturday Night Live. And we're also going to hear about his new movie, Cheap Thrills. You have got to see this movie. It's one of the best movies I've seen in a long, long time. I'm telling you, people! It's something completely different for him. It's dark. It's twisted. It's a dark comedy. It's riveting. And I'm saying this because I watched it. It's just, I, I couldn't believe how much it freaked me out. And the last scene is one of the most amazing, like, oh my gosh, scenes you'll ever see, kind of akin to... Uh, the last scene of Seven. When, uh, spoiler alert, (laughs) if you haven't seen Seven from 20 years ago, when Gwyneth Paltrow's head is in a box and Brad Pitt finds it. Now, sooner or later, someone's going to give me a flack about about that. You spoiled it for me, eh? You spoiled it for me. Listen, if you're listening to Talk is Jericho and you're not up to date on the TV shows and on the movies that I'm watching, then get into it. Come on, man. I'll give you a little spoiler warning, but if something had happened six months ago, like I talked about the finish of Dexter and someone tweeted me the other day, you spoiled the ending of Dexter. Dude, that was six months ago. I mean, come on. Get over yourself. But anyways, David Koechner plays a sociopath in Cheap Thrills. I really dug this movie. I've seen it twice, and you can see it too. Video on demand, still in theaters. It is definitely worth watching, but it's not for the faint of heart. Okay, 
I saw it. I also saw Anchorman 2 the other day. Dave tells some great stories about Will Ferrell, Steve Carell on the Anchorman set. It's definitely a must listen if you like funny things. If you don't, get out of here. Leave. We don't want you. We don't want you. I'll also be taking phone calls a little later on in the show because I want to know who you think should be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that did not make it in so far. So keep your eye on the Twitter. The phone number will be posted at Talk is Jericho. Don't you dare miss it. And I did go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony in New York last week. I was there to see Kiss go in, Nirvana, the E Street Band, Linda Ronstadt, Hall and Oates, and Oates's mustache, all inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I was there to watch it. I'm going to tell you all about it. An on-the-spot report. But before we get started, I know I've told you and spoke to you about this last week, but in all seriousness, I got a, I got a little, little heart-to-heart with you guys. Please help me help this show and help you by checking out the sponsors who make it possible for me to do Talk is Jericho twice a week for you for free, okay? I've made it really easy for you to find them all in one place. Just go to podcastone.com and click on the Keep Our Podcasts Free banner at the top of the page. Then you can click on Talk is Jericho and easily access all of my sponsors. And remember, I choose every sponsor that I endorse on this show. I use every sponsor that I endorse on this show. And if I'm asking you and telling you that they're worth checking out, then you got to believe me. I wouldn't give you a bum steer, partner. Okay? Listen, you can even get to my Amazon link from there. And even better, you can link to Amazon UK and Amazon Canada. That's new to help support this show. In order to do that, once again, podcastone.com. Click on the Keep Our Podcasts Free banner at the top of the page and show my sponsors a little love podcastone.com click on keep our podcasts free banner then click on talk is jericho access my sponsors go to amazon do some shopping and help keep this podcast a free people so thanks for supporting the show supporting my sponsors and supporting me i love talking to you guys twice a week and i want to continue to do so for free Every single time. Now, before we get to the Rock and Hall of Fame, got a couple uh, little uh, dipsy doodles to tell you. Howie Mandel was on the show a couple weeks ago. We talked about Deal With It. My episode is on. That's actually on later tonight, if you're listening to this on Wednesday. And if you missed out, then you got to go find it on the YouTube or something. Deal With It on TBS 1030 Eastern Time. It's a very, very funny show. I am on it. If you missed CNY2J on TV, go check it out. Howie will be happy. I'll be happy. April 29th, Lights Go Out, the new Fozzie single drops on iTunes. And we're going to play that for you very, very soon here on this show before April 29th. That's a little uh, a little gubbin for you, a little bit of uh, a little gold nugget. And then also for everybody in the UK, more specifically the London, England area, June 12th, I will have another spoken word show which is a very, very cool evening with Chris Jericho. Come hang out with me. I'll tell some tales. We'll have some fun. It'll be, uh, we'll have some milk and cookies. June 12th and June 15th, Leicester Square at PSI underscore events for all the details. And trust me, you're not going to want to miss this. I did a couple of them in Australia last year. I did one in London a few years ago. I've got some great stories. We'll do a little Q&A. I'll do a little tap dancing, song and dance, whatever it is. 
That's on June 12th and 15th in London at Leicester Square. And if you're going to be in that area, June 14th, Fozzie at the main stage of Download right before Lincoln Park. So that's going to be amazingly cool as well. All right. Now that I've shamelessly shilled myself, I'm now going to talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Okay. So once in a lifetime uh, experience to go check this thing out. Obviously, I wanted to go because of Kiss. And all of the bantering and the burials and the arguments that happened beforehand, the night of the show, it was irrelevant because they all got on stage and they gave great speeches. You could tell they were getting along. Now, this might be the last time we ever get to see all four members of KISS together uh, with each other. Hopefully not. But, you know, after all was said and done, even though there was a lot of bickering, a lot of uh, ugly statements made, in the end, uh, the Kiss was up there, and they did definitely uh, give kind of a shout-out to the fans. It was a drag that they didn't play, and it's even more of a drag to me that with the thousands of musicians that have been um, influenced by Kiss over the years, that they didn't put together an all-star band to play something. But apparently that was all issues between the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Kiss. And you know what? Whatever. Kiss made it in there. I think Bruce Kulick should have went in. I think Eric Carr, Vinnie Vincent, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer. The uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame will not allow that, even though they allowed all 13 or 14 members of the E Street Band, past and present, to go in. But I'll tell you what, um, Kiss's speeches were great. Andrew uh, Luke Oldham and Brian Epstein went in. Peter Asher, which was a, a famous uh, manager from that point in time, put in the manager of the Beatles and the Stones. That was very cool. Uh, Peter Gabriel was fine. I'm not a huge Peter Gabriel fan. His performance was pretty good. Kiss came on. They did not perform right after Cat Stevens came on. Bathroom break. Bathroom break. And I was there with uh, with my wise cousin Chad and Edge. And we had a blast, man, at the Barclays Center, which is where I had my last Raw match against RVD. 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 Uh, so it was cool. Got a chance to meet some fans. Had some really cool people. Kind of keeping an ear out when, um, you know, when... Uh, <laughs> When Cat Stevens was on. Then E Street Band came on. And man, I'll tell you what. That speech was so damn long. There was like 13 guys. And they went on for like an hour. And all due respect, you know. I love Bruce Springsteen. But hearing, you know, Gary you know, Podnicek or whatever his name was. Like the bass player or the accordion player or the triangle player. It's like, shut up. I mean, come on, man. You know, Kiss didn't even get a chance to have anybody play their songs, and, and the E Street Band gets, you know, an hour for speeches. Whatevs. Then Linda Ronstadt, uh, she was not there because she has Parkinson's disease, but there was an amazing kind of an all star jam uh, with uh, Bonnie Rayett sang, Amy Lou Harris, Carrie Underwood, Stevie Nicks, Cheryl Crow, and they did an amazing version of When Will I Be Loved with Glenn, Glenn Fry from the Eagles singing. It was so perfectly well done. It was amazing. Um, then Hall and Oates came out there. Oates's mustache was very uh, subtle. He just stayed in the background and played kind of a, a second keyboard. Uh, he did do a little bit of a speech, which we'll talk uh, to him about. He's going to be here in a couple minutes. Um, he was a little bit radical, though. Kind of went off a little bit on, on Hall and Oates, uh, but lack of what he perceived as respect. Apparently, they're going to cut him out of the speech when it airs on HBO. Uh, later on the, uh, in May. Then Nirvana came out, played with Joan Jett. They played with Lord. Uh, that was a very, very cool moment too. 
whenever you hear that opening salvo of smells like teen spirit, wow, wow, down, out, down, and out, down, out, down, and out, down, out, down, out, funny how that sounds like DDP's entrance theme too, doesn't it? But it was it was just an amazing night overall. I uh, went uh, backstage after, got a picture with the boss, which was cool. Uh, originally, his security guard said uh, the boss was not taking pictures. I, of course, ran around the corner and happened to bump into Bruce and told wise cousin Chad, have your finger on the trigger. Be ready to take a picture as soon as you can. Uh, hey, boss, can I take a picture with you, please? Done. And the guard's like, I told you no pictures. I'm like, sorry, man. Already got one. See ya. Met uh, John Oates, who was there without a mustache. He has... Uh, he has a, a little goatee that he kind of pastes on when when he uh, when Oates' mustache is not there, but Oates' mustache not around. Bill Murray was there. Jackson Brown, of course, all I could think of to say to him was, "Hey man, I just saw you in the Eagles documentary." <laughs> Bonnie Rayet didn't take a picture with a couple fans. Lame. Take a picture with the fans. It only takes a few minutes. I mean, come on. Uh, but yeah, but now uh, we 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 want to have Oates' mustache on to give his opinions. And experiences on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And he's here now. So Oates' mustache, it's good to have you again, man. It's been a while. Oh, it's just oh, it's so good to be back here again, man. It's just, it's just oh, oh, I mean, now that you, to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, man, it's just, it's such an honor, especially after all the things that we went through with Hall Notes, man. It's just, I just couldn't believe it that we actually uh, were there, all three of us together, and not wanting to kill each other, you know? You know what I mean, man? Well, you were uh, in the background, um, Oates' mustache, Julio, Julio Oates' mustache, and we didn't really get to see you too much, and then on your speech, you just you kind of were a little bit bitter. What are your explanations for that? Well, I mean, you know, just because, you know, I mean... Uh, it's crazy, man. I mean, just because we were on stage at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, that was suddenly oh, 30 years of bad blood goes out the window. I mean, I'd still, I mean, they still, those guys raped me, but basically took all my royalties, man. And, and I mean, it's just crazy to think about the things that we did to each other. And then even so, the fact that, you know, they are still making money and, 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 and all over the world and, uh, and I'm, I'm basically stuck in a uh, playing dinner theater, you know, outside with an acoustic guitar. Uh, so, I mean, I was glad to be on stage, but I just couldn't, I couldn't help myself when I was on stage to say, you know, Horn Oates, I mean, you know, screw you, 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 you bastards. I mean, you ba- you bastards, you bastards, babies, and you bastard faces. And, and I don't want to even look in your general direction. I fought in your general direction, Oates. You, you bastard face. You stupid, dumb head. Well, um, I, I really don't want to get into that with you too much, Oates' mustache. But I, 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 listen, whatever you guys have between you is fine. But I, I'd like to know why weren't you at the uh, the after party that everybody was hanging around at? Well, I mean, the funny thing is, man, I mean, did you notice uh, at the after party, did, did you see Carrie Underwood? Uh, no, I didn't. Did you see Stevie Nicks? Um, not really. And how about Cheryl Cromart? Did you see her there? No, I, as a matter of fact, I didn't. I didn't see Emily Lou Harris either. Exactly. Do you know who they were? We were having a five-way mustache ride, man. Back in my hotel room, I'll tell you what. You want to talk about how rock and roll has changed, man? And there's no more sex, drugs, and rock and roll? That's a bunch of malarkey because that night, 
mustache rides for all the girls, and, and, and it was like my heyday all over again. I, I put on my, my rock and roll hall of fame, fame ring, I put it around, 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 around myself, and I just ran, ran right up and down there, the, the naughty bits. You know what I mean? Especially that Carrie Underwood. What a saucy little vixen. I'll never forget the night that she screamed, Julio Oates Mustache, you are the king of the world. And I said, you're right, baby. And I'm in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, Oates Mustache, it sounds like that you're, uh, you haven't lost a step. And I'm glad that you made it into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And like I said, it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And I'm very, very excited that I got to go. And maybe I'll go again uh, next year. But to see Nirvana and Kiss get inducted was one of the greatest nights. Such a classic, classic night. And I uh, will look forward to watching it on HBO at the end of May. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. On the line right now, one of the stars of the hilarious Anchorman movies, but even more importantly, the star of one of the best movies I've seen in the last two or three years, Cheap Thrills. David Keckner is here. How you doing, man? Hello, Y2J. <laughs> You've done your homework, sir. <laughs> it's great to talk to you, and congratulations on Cheap Thrills. i got to tell you, um, it is, like I said, one of the best movies I've seen in a long, long time. Thank you. Uh, thank, I agree with you. I, I'm, 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 I keep telling people it's going to be in their top 20 of all time. It is a movie that stays with you. It's intense. And here's the thing. I didn't know there were laughs in this movie, and I'm not, I'm not kidding. Mm-hmm. We shot this thing over 14 days in uh, September 2012, really low, oh, low wow. budget. And it was uh, in Los Angeles during a heat wave in a house without any air conditioning. <laughs> Which just added to the whole pressure cooker of the of the movie. Yeah, and I knew there was one laugh when uh, Ethan Embry and I are on the couch together, and he jumps away after seeing witnessing something. <laughs> Masturbation. I, <laughs> I I thought, you know, uh, that was a laugh. But I saw it. A, a, let's see, a year ago with a festival audience, and I was amazed how much laughter there is in the picture. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because it's such a pressure cooker, and people are making the agreement with the actors in the film to go along, like, yeah, I guess I'd do that, I guess I'd do that. They have to laugh to relieve the pressure and to remind themselves this isn't real. Yeah, well, I mean, let's let's take a couple steps back. It's it's interesting because I, you know, I hadn't really heard much about the movie, but I saw the poster. So I was assuming, okay, David Koechner's in it. You know, Ethan Embry's had some funny roles. I thought it was going to be some kind of a madcap comedy, like a you know, like a horrible bosses or something along right. those lines. And then you start watching it, and my goodness, like for for those of you who haven't seen it, and you must see this movie, it basically is two guys down in their luck have nothing going on for them, and go to a bar and meet up with, with, with you and your wife, who then pay them to do 
simple tasks, drink a shot, uh, slap a, a chick on the ass, you know, uh, punch someone in the face, and then it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. So by the end of this movie, you have no idea which way it's going to go. And I guess it's kind of called a, a black comedy, for lack of a better term, film noir, maybe. Yeah, it's uh, I, even the you know the genre enthusiasts have a, a tough time describing what this is because it doesn't fit one thing or another. It's not a real thriller. Mm-hmm. It's not a real real horror movie, and it's not a comedy. And in fact, I thought they probably shouldn't really come down on the comedy too much for this movie because if you go in expecting a comedy, that's right, you're going to be sorely mistaken. So <laughs> I've been describing it as a sinister thriller with dark comedic undertones where sex is always in play. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. And I think because, I mean, this is kind of a almost a breakout role for you because we know you as champ kind, and we know you from you know all these comedies that you've done, The Office and 40-Year-Old Virgin, et cetera, et cetera. And that's why I think when you first see the poster, you see you on it, it must be funny. But, I mean, you are going completely 180 on this. How was that for you to, to be able to sink your teeth into a role like this that's so opposite of what you're quote-unquote known for? Well, I, I just looked at it as a great opportunity, and I was so happy that Evan had uh, had the faith in me to to know that I could do something different. You know, over the years, I've had more than one person say, "I'd like to see you in a drama." And I guess the closest thing I've done, uh, what people might consider drama, is "Thank You for Smoking," a more more of a straight role. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, this was the first chance I got to do something more unbridled and and. Uh, <laughs> Certainly, a lot of different colors, and it's it's it was nice for me because the character at first seems affable and charming and jovial, and then you realize he's a sociopath. So right. yeah, it was a lot of fun for me to to dig into something a little bit deeper. You know, it's it's different than preparing for a comedy because you know in a comedy you're just making sure your timing's there and you know what the joke is, um, and it's not to say that you don't have your intentions. In, in line in a comedy, but certainly for a movie like this, you have to really focus on what is supposed to happen in each scene. And because my job, my, my character's job, was to keep this party going and make sure we get to our end result. So mm-hmm. it does have an arc, a place to go. Like, you know, I'm, I'm part of the story, and I had to be, be sure that I let the audience in wherever I am supposed to, but also keep fooling them. Yeah, and keep fooling them and keep them guessing as to what the hell it is that's going on as yeah. as it just gets, you know, more and more out of control from, like I said, spank a chick on the ass to cut your own pinky off right. for, for, for $25,000. <laughs> now, you also, you, you, you also mentioned too about how this was uh, shot in 14 days a year and a half ago, basically a, a shoestring budget type of a film. How was that in comparison to doing, you know, a big budget, major motion picture like an Anchorman, for example? Well, the tra- the trailer is a lot smaller, and the food is much worse. <laughs> I, you know, the uh, a craft service table for for the kids that aren't in uh, in show business. They have this table where you have all kinds of fruits and vegetables and candies and donuts and nuts and mm-hmm. uh, all kinds of stuff to graze upon while you're working all day long. Now this. <laughs> this table was just a small card table with the saddest assortment of things that you didn't want to eat. Some gal was just there slicing apples very thin. And I was like, I'll bring my own bag of nuts. So that's the big difference. Plus, in this thing, you don't get that many takes. In a, normally in a movie, you'll get to do the, the scene mm-hmm. four, five, six times. 
uh, we were shooting 12 pages a day. And wow. Big movies will shoot three pages a day. Uh, and so we didn't have time to, um, like, a lot of times what people will do is rehearse on film. That means they'll, they'll just kind of start getting into it and not, not necessarily be ready to do the scene. Yeah. And they'll find it after four or five takes. Well, in this instance, you've got to be ready that first take. Um, it's like the show is on now. It's like you're going to do a play. In fact, I, I felt very much like this, this film is almost like doing a play. It's, it's mm-hmm. just four people mainly throughout the whole film, and they're all so talented. Sarah Paxton, Pat Healy, Ethan Embry. I did all my preparation, but I tell you, when we started doing the show together, it was like you didn't even have to think about it. Well, I mean, I think that's you know, the chemistry that you guys had is, is so important. I mean, I did a web series last year, um, that we did 10, 10 episodes in a week. And they're like, you know, five, six minute long episodes. And it was the same thing, only a couple takes. But the reason why it worked is the chemistry of the cast was great. And you guys had that. You can see that you guys really were close. And I don't know if you knew each other beforehand, but, but as actors, the chemistry was definitely off the charts. Yeah, it just it's one of those rare occasions where everything just clicks. Mm-hmm. And I even remarked about it the second day of shooting. I said, something special is going on here. And I just... I just felt it, and I was, you never know how a movie's going to turn out. Right. It doesn't take too many things to make a movie fall apart, but it takes everything to work to make it as good as like this one is, and we just got very lucky. You know, uh, E.L. Katz, Evan, is a first-time director, and he adapted this screenplay from some, uh, an earlier work, and it's just, when you look at something like this guy's done for the first time that it turned out this well, it's just mm-hmm. truly remarkable. How did you get involved with with the uh, with the project? You know, with your comedy background. Well, they uh, they sent me the script and I read it. And uh, I, you know, my agents are always looking out for something different. And mm-hmm. uh, if something comes their their way, it's their responsibility to pass it on to me and say, you know, it's up to you if you want to pursue this or not. And I read it, and I tell you, it's such a page turner. And nowhere in the script did you have to forgive something like sometimes in a movie yeah. you go, okay i understand what that scene is it's kind of a cheat but that gets us to the next part right that didn't exist and i just felt uh i was in for the from the from the start when i finished reading it i was like this this thing can hold water and again it was an opportunity for me to do something different so mm-hmm. i i was very happy to be a part of it did you know, like, I mean, like you said, as an actor, you never know when a movie's going to work and when it's going to fall apart. Did you know that something was, like you said you, earlier, you mentioned something special, but it seems like now now that I've watched the movie and, and become familiar with it, it's everywhere. Like, the buzz on this movie is, is off the charts. It's kind of becoming one of those, like, swingers was in the mid-90s where everybody is now searching it out. Did you know when you were done, like, this has a chance to really break free and be something special? Not, not until I saw it. Okay. And the first time I saw it was with a festival crowd. No, 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 wait. I'm, I'm sorry. I, they sent me a screener at home, mm-hmm. and I watched it with my wife and my buddy, <laughs> and she had to leave the room twice. <laughs> so, so I thought, well, we've got something there. <laughs> yeah, but, right. <laughs> if, you can, if you can insult your wife, you know something's good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's always something, like in this picture, as you well know, there's a couple scenes that are... That are um, have sex involved, and my wife will always say, because there's been one or two pictures where that's happened, she'll go, did I know about this? (laughs) Of course, I told you, remember? (laughs) (laughs) But But, yeah, it's such a fun movie to see with a crowd, and mm -hmm. you know, it sounds like I'm trying to sell it that way, but it really is a different experience watching it with a community as opposed to sitting at home. 
Uh, mm. Because it is such a pressure cooker, you almost feel like you don't want to be alone, and you find out the entire audience is making the agreement with the players in the film, as you are too. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, I, did you watch with a crowd, or did you get a? a no, I, I watched it by myself at home. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say there was a couple times when a few of the scenes, especially later on, like even even for example, like uh, when the guys were were pooping, shall we say, in the house, and the doors open, and you can see the little girl. Like yeah. I was just like, oh. Like, I'm talking to myself, like, oh, like, ooh, or, or when he, at the end, not giving anything away, when he, when he, yeah. when Ethan falls and hits his head on the table, yeah. it's like, oh, yeah. you know, you're commenting to yourself, wishing that there was people you could tap on the shoulder and go, did you see that? Oh my gosh. Yeah, I tell you, I, there's, it, it, I don't know, it's, maybe it's a little <laughs> sadistic for me, but I love being in the audience when that final scene plays out. Oh, amazing. It just goes quiet it's like the air is yes taken out of the room and everyone just sits there because the journey they know now the journey is over and that they've had they're kind of complicit in it they feel like they've made the agreement with the players and they're like "Uh oh what did we do right what did we allow to happen and it's it, it's such a nice twisted but a taut uh film that you're just pulled right in and and right along and it just it doesn't disappoint you on any level i mean you know for the faint of heart um <laughs> i have heard that in a few screenings people have wobbled out of their seats <laughs> and out to the bathroom during that one particular dining scene ah yes <laughs> on both on both accounts there's two separate dining scenes so to speak for 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 Pat, oh. well, uh. yeah, and, and you know, you mentioned the final shot too. I mean, there's it's it, it, and it, there's such a cliffhanger too. I mean, like I said, for anybody that, that that's listening that hasn't seen this yet, you got to go check this out. But I mean, the last shot in Cheap Thrills is one of the best scenes, and, and also one of the most provocative as far as there's so many cliffhangers. Like, what is he going to tell his wife? Yeah. How is he going to explain all this money he has? What what do you do? You're, you're he's even more more screwed now than he was. Before the, the movie even started, you're right. You know, I mean, you, you you're just left with so much. Yeah, but you're, but he's, he was driven to it. Well, I mean, and that's the thing, and it almost became kind of a, a primal hunt. You know, you're, yeah. you're hunting for for uh, you know for the prize, so to speak. But I think another thing that's really interesting about this movie is how it's really uh, gone viral through the celebrities and friends of all the people that have made the movie. I mean, I know that people were talking about this. For, for weeks beforehand to kind of create this buzz from Eli Roth to Rob Riggle to David Arquette and Courtney Cox. Everyone was saying, you have to see this movie, you have to see this movie. It's kind of the new way of promotion now. It's, it's, it's the Twitter, Facebook era of promoting movies. Yeah, it's, you know, the, the, this is a small company, a small distribution company, Draft House, uh, Alamo Draft House. So they don't have that budget mm-hmm. to put it in a bunch of theaters because you have to have a print uh, for all the theaters, and then the, the you know your your television and uh, newspaper that's a huge cost. So they right. don't have ten million dollars to push it out, nor can they put it in you know a thousand theaters. So I think it's going to increase to like thirty markets uh, when they they keep rolling it out week to week. I know it's in L.A. now and mm-hmm. Austin, and I think it's going to like Kansas City next week and uh, several in New York. But they're slowly rolling it out. I know it's going to hit Chicago in. Uh, the first, second week of April. So I hope it can build um, yes. like, like that. Like you said, the word of mouth is, is intense, and I love when people uh, hit me up on Twitter and say how much they liked it. And I challenged an audience the other night because we would do uh, Q&As mm-hmm. here in town or uh, we'll introduce the movie, and I said, if this isn't one of your top 20 films of all time, I will, I will refund your money. <laughs> 
I said, I'll refund your money <laughs> at lunch after you explain to me why it's not in your top 20 of all time. <laughs> and if you can't convince me, then you pay for lunch. So. Dude, that's almost like your character <laughs> that you're playing. I will give you money if you do this. <laughs> it's like you dropped in so far into playing this character, you can't let it go now, David. <laughs> oh, that would be so sick if I was Colin. People keep saying, well, what does Colin do for a living? And we don't know specifically. We know he's obviously very loaded and he's a sociopath and he's got many demons and addictions, but I assume he's one of those corporate raiders, a guy that mm -hmm. takes over a company, leverages it takes a golden parachute, gets out, or sells it all off, you know. He's, yeah. He's a mercenary. He's out for no one but himself. But the irony is that he'll do anything for that one woman, his wife. Yes. Um, and Sarah Paxton, man, she is Smoldering. amazing. Yeah. And, I, you know, she has so few words in the picture, but she conveys so much with every look. Yeah, she's so good, too, like kind of playing this bored, especially it's, it's the type of movie that you want to go back and watch again, yeah. like a Pulp Fiction or something, because she's at the beginning, she's kind of in the in the bar. She's on her phone. She's like any typical early 20s girl just kind of messing around on her phone. This is boring. And I think that's just because she's just a, a naturally bored person, which is why Colin is trying to hold on to her by, you know, making by being the master of puppets like, for her entertainment. Right. You know, right. She's really the one guiding the night because she said, yes, this is what I want. And this is what happens. But, yeah, she did. She did an amazing job. And you know what? Just because we, we talked on set all the time, but she's such a sweet and quiet person in mm -hmm, real life. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. I did. You have kids? Yes, I do. OK. I don't know. I have I have five kids. Three of them are daughters. So there was a movie called Aquamarine <laughs> yes. that came out. She, she was the mermaid oh, in Aquamarine. That's right. I found out yesterday. <laughs> I knew she looked familiar from yeah. something. I even went on uh, an IMDb beater to see if I had seen anything she'd done. I was like, well, I've seen Shark Night, but I don't remember her. But that's what it was, Aquamarine. That's I know. it. <laughs> I, I flipped out. I sent her an email and said, you dirty little girl, you didn't tell me you were Aquamarine. My daughters would have flipped out. Not that I would have ever taken them to the set. <laughs> <laughs> sure, exactly. Take you to the finger-chopping scene. <laughs> but we're, we're talking about how the movie is a huge success, uh, even to the point where the, um, the, the per-screen average in L.A. was better than the Muppet, Muppet movie this week, just to show just how much of a buzz there is. But you're talking about you know a low-budget kind of uh, art house movie that's, get, that's getting uh, a buzz and getting some huge traction. Let's go to the, to the role you're probably known the most for in the huge blockbuster hits of Anchorman, where you played Champ Kind, uh, the sports guy. How, how much fun was that to come back and play that part 10 years after the original? Well, yeah, it was, it was incredible. It was incredible, and you, you know, it, it's it's similar. Like you, you know, you've had such a, an amazing career and uh, played in so many different, literally arenas, mm -hmm. and and it's like that when you get to team up. It's like when you you have many partners that you know where they're going to be in the ring, yes. and you guys hit it exactly right. And that's the it's a metaphor I use is like basketball or football, sure, where you don't. It's a no look pass. It's the alley oop, and that's what it's like playing with those guys. Plus, to get to do that. It felt like a, a victory lap. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, the chemistry, we talked earlier about the chemistry of your cast. And also, too, I mean, in that movie, there's no holds barred. I mean, you guys are just completely out of control. Just, it seems like the idea uh, is just to see who can make the other one laugh for real. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, it, 
it's hard sometimes because you know what the lines are. Like, I, we do a lot of improvisation, but we'll shoot every scene three or four times because so, mm-hmm. the script is always hilarious. McKay, Adam McKay, is one of the brightest minds I've ever met, mm-hmm. period. Not only in comedy, but, I mean, Just he in can general. discourse about anything. And you're right. like, wow, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I can't think of a subject that he wouldn't know something about. Mm-hmm. And could, if I thought I was an expert, he could convince me otherwise. <laughs> I would come in every day with what we call alternative lines. So you'd mm-hmm. have your lines, but you, know, you can pitch new ones. That's how great these guys are. They're not precious about what they've done. Okay. And every time I'd come in like four or five lines and I'd pitch them to McKay and he'd immediately, without trying, and it wasn't out of ego, he would just go, oh yeah, those are, oh, he's always accepting. He goes, yeah, yeah, those are all great, but how about this? And then he'd beat <laughs> it by 10. It's like, shh. <laughs> He's remarkable. Um, but, yeah, the hardest part for me is if I even know the line, but when Will does Ron Burgundy, mm-hmm. it's just impossible to, to maintain it. Uh, there's that one scene in this last movie when, when Ron yells at Brick. Uh-huh. <laughs> he says, you know, shut, shut up, Brick, just shut up. And it was so funny. <laughs> I'm sitting right by Carell. And yeah. I'm like, oh, no, I'm not going to be able to take this. <laughs> so I literally had to imagine tough situations my kids have been in oh, wow. so I wouldn't laugh because I'm like, here it comes. Yeah. That's just a straight fastball from Ron Burgundy, and I can't handle it. <laughs> so that's when it's tough. And then the lighthouse scene, um, and I think this will be on DVD, all the some of the outtakes. Mm-hmm. I think it's online, too. We couldn't hold it together. It was like the last week of filming. And it's just the four of us. And I think we kind of recognize this is the last time we're going to be able to do this together. Mm-hmm. But we could not hold it together when Will is playing Ron Burgundy. He's blind and he's arrogant and petulant <laughs> at the same time. It was just such a mixture that I, none of us could hold it together. We're literally laughing, crying. <laughs> and you never want to be the guy that is the first one to break. Exactly. But as soon as someone breaks, you're just relieved it's so you can over. jump in. But that must be an editor's nightmare. I mean, I know you guys just re-released uh, the, the movie, adding 763 new jokes uh-huh. was how it was advertised. I mean, if, if you're doing three or four takes of the same scene with all these funny lines, how do you choose which one gets used? I don't know. You know, you're I mean, right. you're right. I mean, I don't know. They test it and test it and test it, but it's tr- it's truly an embarrassment of riches, and we mm-hmm. knew. You know, about halfway through the movie, I was like, wait a minute, this all can't fit. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? So about three weeks before we were done filming, we all went to McKay and started lobbying him to kill Billet, release this thing in two parts. Oh. And, uh, you know, they, they toyed with that idea, but, but the audience clearly wasn't up for it. They mm-hmm. wanted their fight scene. And uh, <laughs> the thing that hurt the most for me was this huge song and dance number. Mm-hmm. It's a musical number that just breaks out about one-third into the film. When we leave San Diego and realize there's a great big world out there, when we get to New York, we thought the edge of the city limits was it. So we start singing this song called, It's a Great Big World, and it goes into this song and dance, and everyone in the newsroom is dancing. And then we meet a fellow that's gay, and we can't get our heads around it. Right. And we keep asking him all these questions, and then we start singing a song called, Inside the music, we start and stop and start singing a song called If I Was Gay for a Day, <laughs> and it's hysterical. Then it goes, breaks back out into this huge musical number, Yeah, and uh, I know that was in this, uh, I'll call it Anchorman 2.2 re-release, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that'll be on the DVD as well, but 
that was the thing that I missed the most about the first picture that didn't have it in there. Now, do you, um, do you know that it's going to be cut, or do you just have to wait until the movie comes out? Well, no, no. We always get to go to an advanced screening yeah. uh, because you'll, you'll see that before because you've got to go do all the press. Um, mm-hmm. So you know it's not going to make it, and you're, you know, you're like, oh, well. But, you know, when you're watching something, I'm sure it's the same when you watch a match. You're, you're re-experiencing what was going on on the day. Yeah. You're not necessarily taking it in. Uh, the way an audience does, uh, I guess, innocently or, or purely. So right. you know, you're, you're mixed going, okay, what was happening that day? It, the scene started here, but they started there. Oh, it was going to end there, but they end, you know, all those yes. kinds of things, plus all the alternative lines of dialogue that, <laughs> <laughs> that they couldn't use for one reason or another. So I, I'm just happy that the, all that stuff will, you know, we always knew it all would exist on DVD, so... Did, and did you get the, that role initially because you knew Will and Adam from, from Saturday Night Live, or did uh, you have to audition? I did audition. Okay. I actually auditioned for, I think, I think I auditioned for Brick and Champ on the same day. Okay. Uh, I actually brought, <laughs> I think I brought two wigs. I, I know I definitely brought one wig <laughs> and then did the other one. <laughs> <laughs> bald but uh yeah i had to prepare two pieces that day and one was champ and one was was brick i think uh and then um it took a while no they couldn't give me the part because this is before you know any huge studio success that they had put up themselves yeah and in fact they even told me that they couldn't push for any of their friends because sometimes that gets into some weird politics right. with someone else going oh i want this guy so the other person will naturally go, no, I'm going to make my decision and not go with that guy. Yes. But uh, when I did get it, Adam and Will called me, which is rare, because they, they said, look, we can't officially call you, but you're going to be getting a call from your agent uh, telling you. But they were so excited that I was able to, that I, I, I feel good about that. I won the role. Yeah, I you got like, it. Uh, yeah. You got yeah. it the real way. Exactly. exactly. Well, you're hilarious in that and uh, hilarious in so many of the things. We're, we're going to go check in with our Sexy Bee sponsors right now, and we're going to be back with more David Koechner and more Talk is Jericho right after this. Talk is Jericho. Welcome back to Talk is Jericho. We have David Koechner here on the line. Amazing new movie. Cheap Thrills, amazing as Champ Kind and Anchorman. And also, when I was doing my research, because I'm very well prepared now that I'm a professional uh, <laughs> podcast host, David, I had forgotten that you were a regular on Saturday Night Live in, yeah. in, in 95, 96 on, on the season 21. We mentioned that earlier. That's how you kind of met up with Will Ferrell and all that stuff. Tell us a little bit about the process of how the hell do you get on to Saturday Night Live? I mean, that's, that is a comedian's dream yeah. to, to get into that cast. Yeah. Well, I was a fan of the uh, very first broadcast of SNL. I was 13 at the time. Mm-hmm. And I remember after those four or five, I mean, I was a fan just like everybody else, but I remember at the time, a few years later, thinking, I'm going to be on that show one day. And, uh, but then I took a left turn. I was a poli-sci major because I'd never met an actor. I'm from a very small town in Missouri. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't really understand how a person goes about that pursuit. So I studied political science for three years, and then I realized I'm not going to be a politician or a <laughs> lawyer or a teacher. And I quit going to school. And my dad said, well, Dave, I don't know what you want to do, but you don't want to go to school. And I, I thought he was going to, you know, ream my butt, but he, I, it was a gift, because then I, I hung around Columbia, Missouri, saved my money, then I, fin- I uh, visited a friend in sh- uh, Chicago and went to the Second City. Mm-hmm. That's where a lot of people from Saturday Night Live had come, yeah, and absolutely. I realized they teach classes here, 
And uh, so I saved up, and I moved to Chicago, started taking classes at Second City. Which and was also, like, an, was that improv? Yeah, yeah, yeah. sketch and improv. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, then I started taking classes at a place called the I.O., the Improv Olympic. I was taking them simultaneously. And so um, they spotted me there, uh, uh, SNL, and they invite you out to audition. Mm-hmm. And so you go out, you do your first audition, which was, let's see, it was, um, you had to do a political impression, a celebrity impression, and a character. Really? So they, yeah. base it, they base it a lot on impressions then? Well, they know that those can be successful. Yeah. So I think I did Pat Buchanan. <laughs> and <laughs> and another, another impression, and I did uh, Jack Lemmon and Jim Carrey in a buddy movie that was so stupid. Nice. <laughs> How do you do Jack Lemmon? That's, that's pretty obscure. I, I did the Jack Lemmon from, um, from, gosh darn it, the movie... Glenn, real estate movie. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Thank you. Thank Sh- you very Shelley much. Shelly the Machine Levine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, the Mrs. I'd like to speak to Mrs. Nyborg, please. <laughs> real Rancho Properties. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, when you go back home, I was living in Chicago. Then a couple weeks go by, you're just on pins and needles every day. Then you get invited back for another audition. And in that one, you can do whatever you want. So I did like four or five different characters. Mm -hmm. And I pretty much knew in my heart of hearts that I had nailed it. And uh, I went home, and every day I was like, this is mine. This is mine. And then they call you back. They don't necessarily tell you on the phone, but you you get called back. I had a meeting with Lauren Michaels, and Steve Higgins was the head writer at the time. Now, is this the first time you're meeting Lauren, or was he in the auditions as well? He's, he's in the auditions okay. as well. Okay. There is no laughter on, on the, on the, in the studio when you're doing your audition. It's a I know. It's weird, awful, right? Yeah, it's weird. But you just kind of go into a place where like, you're in a submarine, and you're like, you don't care. Mm-hmm. You just have to be there. You know right. that. You're yep. a performer and, a, and a, an athlete, so you know what it takes to just like you put yourself in that mind state. And then so I had a me- meeting with Lauren. We talked about weird stuff and we talked about baseball for a little and he said okay we're done talking about that now it was just the oddest conversation <laughs> and then he said something that was kind of cryptic but then steve higgins leaned over and said congratulations you're hired and will farrell got hired the same day and that's the first time i'd met will mm-hmm. and we're, we that night we go to a yankees game uh, uh, you were both staying at, I think, the Paramount Hotel, and uh, uh, a limo comes and picks us up, which is the first time in a limo. Yeah. Go to the old Yankee Stadium. We're sitting there with Steve Higgins, myself, and Will, and we're just looking at each other like, what just happened? <laughs> and Lauren is sitting with his buddy like uh, four or five rows away. We're not even sitting together, but we're right behind home plate. And uh, there's a guy who's probably 32 with his six-year-old son sitting in front of us, screaming the most horrible things at the opposing <laughs> players. I was just, it was crazy. I don't know if I can say it on your podcast. <laughs> you can, but okay. we, we can guess. <laughs> oh, well, I cannot say it, right? It's a clean podcast. Yeah, it is. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I was, it was worse than probably what you're imagining. Okay. Uh, it, it was crazy. The guy was saying, hey, hey, you got the effing AIDS to every batter <laughs> that came up. And he's sitting there with a six-year-old kid that was blowing my crazy, mind. Crazy, right? Yeah. Ugh. So, but uh, then, yeah, the rest is, is, is whatever. I had a few discussions with Lauren about whether or not I should get a toupee. <laughs> you want to talk about odd conversations? Oh, my God, because I thought, well, if I had a toupee, 
I would never live it down with my friends or my buddies in Chicago. I yeah. mean, although it would be because he said, you know, it's up to you, but this is your opportunity. You're going to be introduced to America via television now, so it's your choice if you want hair or you don't want hair. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's funny is when I first saw you, I think, you know, the first time I started knowing you from, from Anchorman, it almost looked like you just had shaved that part of your hair. I was well, like, I, he's doing that for his character. He's dropping in. I realized, no, that's really his hair. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been commitment. I, that'd be Christian Bale territory. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know, it's funny with Lauren, too. When, when I, I did uh, Will Forte's movie, MacGruber, and Lauren was there, and I talked to him for a bit, and I just could not stop thinking, like, holy smokes, this is exactly Dr. Evil. Yeah. Mike Myers based his character on that. But then I told Will that, and Will's like, no, you can never say that around Lauren, because Lauren... He, he he does not like to hear that. <laughs> you don't want to say it. He doesn't want to say it. <laughs> but but once you meet Lauren, you cannot help but walk away and do an impression. Absolutely right. It's true. You're very. <laughs> I can't even do the impression right now. Like, you know, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> you're very funny, it Chris. Starts with you know, you know, Dave. <laughs> you know, Chris. Right. There's always going to be a lesson in every conversation. <laughs> yeah. You know, he'll tell you about your experience wrestling. Oh yeah, you know, Chris. When you're going for the belt, the title, whether you're in the, the ring with the Rock or Stone Cold, <laughs> what you'll find—that's <laughs> like, totally how him. <laughs> how much of a pressure cooker is it? you mentioned? Pressure cookers during Cheap Thrills. How mu- how much of a pressure cooker is it to be on SNL? I mean, obviously, the, your your cast was Jim Brewer, Will Ferrell, Daryl Hammond, McDonald, Mark McKinney, Sherry O'Terry, David Spade. I mean, there's some really hilarious people there. Yeah, is yeah. it hard to get on screen? Well, I, you know what? I, it's one of those things where I didn't necessarily... A buddy of mine told me, you got to go hit the target. And part of me felt like I wouldn't do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So I was writing and doing the things that made me laugh and made me funny. It wasn't necessarily got to get on, got to get on. And everybody in the cast was really cool because everybody was pretty new, except for Norm MacDonald, Spade, and Timmy Meadows. Right. Everybody else was brand new. So oh, really? So there was a real fun ensemble feel. There wasn't really any nasty competition. Mm-hmm. And so everyone was really nice to each other. And I just figured, in my mind, I thought, well, I'm here. Why won't they take care of you? Why won't they yeah. do what they do to make sure everybody gets over? Right, um, yeah. But that's not the prevailing attitude. There's a little bit of, you know, you got to eat your young. Mm-hmm. So, and, uh, honestly, in my head, I had, I had made my decision that I was going to be there for three years and then move on. I didn't want to get stuck there <clears throat> for a mm-hmm. long time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they say sometimes you're, what you say to the universe comes true, and <laughs> <laughs> it hurt me. And, <laughs> so I was just on for a year. I had a great year. I mean, I could put together a best-of compilation. Yeah. Um, but there was some politics involved in why uh, they didn't... Uh, Lauren wanted to bring me back, but mm-hmm. there were some West Coast people that wanted to make changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the first year of Mad TV, and then Howard Stern had a late-night show, too, so the first time they'd ever really had competition, head-to-head competition in that space at the time slot. So ratings went, uh, took a slight dip, so that gave the West Coast uh, suits some uh, leverage, mm-hmm. and... Uh, they said, yeah, this guy's gone. I was like, wow. You know, you get your ticket punched and they yeah. take it away. It was like, wow, that, that really hurts. But it's it probably the best thing for me. I uh, came out to L.A., started taking acting classes again, which I'm sure helped me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then six months, months later, I met my wife. And, you know, it's like things have to happen for a reason. And then they did. So... Well, that was actually uh, probably the best segue you could have ever given me, David, because I wanted to ask you 
I know that you're working on a book about your family, and you mentioned how you have five children. But the thing that's really interesting is four of them you had after your wife lost her uterus. Yep. How, how do you have kids with when your wife doesn't have a, a, a uterus? How did you guys do that? Well, so we have we got pregnant immediately. Uh, we got married, mm-hmm. and I figured in my mind it's probably going to take a year to get pregnant. So we weren't, uh, you know, we we we. <laughs> We removed the goalie, and uh, sure enough, two months later, we're, we're pregnant. And uh, you scored. You scored. <laughs> Everything was going along great. About uh, about a month before our son was due, my wife was spotting. We had to go get an emergency C-section, mm-hmm. but she had a very rare thing called placenta accreta, where the placenta grows into the uterus as to up to it. Okay. And so when we Charlie was born, the placenta uh, went. Okay, I'm leaving too, but I'm taking the uterus with me. Uh, it's almost like alien when uh, when the alien oh. sucks under your face. It's like that sucking into your uterus. So she was bleeding to death for about three and a half hours on the table. Oh my and they, goodness! They finally said, "Look, we're gonna have to take your uterus, or else you'll you'll die." Yeah. And so I figured, yeah, I don't want to raise that kid by myself. You better go ahead and take that uterus. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the next morning the doctor came and said, "Well, at least you're alive." But the good news is. You can still have your own children because your ovaries are on the outside of your uterus, and oh. we left your ovaries. So about a year later, my wife investigated uh, surrogacy, and um, so we went in, did the procedure, all the fertility stuff, and then we removed uh, eggs from her ovaries. <clears throat> and then, gosh, I know it's a clean show, but we removed, um, I guess, I won't say what I usually say. Then I, I, the I, I donated some sperm, <laughs> some seed. <laughs> And so we created a, they created 11 embryos that day, and then we used the first three and put them in a surrogate and wow. got our daughter, Margot. And then the, we froze the other eight. And then a couple years later, we did the procedure again with a, a new surrogate. Oh. And um, we put, they, they thawed out the four, and um, what happens is they'll keep growing or they'll start fragmenting. So there was only three that were still growing. We put those into the next surrogate that got our twins. Uh-huh. So at this point, we have two boys and two girls, and wow. I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> uh, you know, that's, 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 that's two pair. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. um, my wife said, but, you know, those are babies. We have those other four. Those are still babies. I thought, they're microscopic. Uh-huh. Can't we just bake them in a casserole and say a prayer? <laughs> Come on, baby. So for her birthday one year, I said, okay, let's do it. Let's try those last ones. We thought out the final four. There was only one viable embryo. And then we put that in the surrogate, and of course, boom, we got pregnant. Our, our issue is not fertility at all. Wow. So, uh, yeah, then Eve was born uh, three years ago. That is incredible. What yeah. a story. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a different way to do it. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely, man, absolutely. Are you writing a book about that? My wife is. right now. Okay. Actually, she's taking a spiritual psychology course. She's mm-hmm. getting her master's. So when she's done with that, she's doing this to hone her message. Right. So she's she's doing that right now, and that's one of the, the you have to pick a project, um, and it's either going to be that or else she's going to try and create a talk show, or maybe she'll do both. My wife's pretty amazing. I, there's there's nothing she puts her 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 head to that yeah, she yeah. doesn't do. When she says she's going to do something, that's it. In fact, when we met, her brother introduced us in an airport, mm-hmm. and then they saved a seat for me on the plane. And I'm joking around with them, and halfway through the flight, her brother says, Dave, are you attracted to my sister? Because, Lee, you've met your match, Dave. I think you're going to be around for a long time. And Lee said at that moment, she was thinking, I know he's going to be around a long time because that guy's my husband. So she, <laughs> she made her decision on the plane that we were going to get married. 
And guess what, man? That happened. So <laughs> I don't deny go. my wife. When she says something's going to happen, I'm like, okay. It's happening. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's an amazing story. You've done so many great things. But there's one role that I have to ask you about that's my favorite thing that you've ever done. Because uh, I love these type of movies when you played the evil water park owner <laughs> in Piranha 3 Double D, baby. Now that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I like to, I like to have a, a various <laughs> career. I like all kinds of different things. I can always say I've been in Piranha Three Double D, and I've done three episodes of Hannah Montana. And if that ain't range, baby, I don't know what is. <laughs> I mean, that was just a fun movie. To, yeah, I mean, another know. kind of a low budget, but just I mean, you you played the despicable yep. water park owner, and of course uh, the evil piranhas infiltrate the system and get into the water slides yeah and i i know about it and i don't care because i'm all about the almighty dollar <laughs> it's like a you're like an offshoot of the mayor in jaws exactly yeah exactly yeah and, and then of course then you, you you take the bag of money drive away and right through a i don't know was it a clothesline or something well, it was a, supposed to be a flag but a low-hanging wire is what it was supposed to be <laughs> And off with your head. Off with the head, yeah. Just a, a great movie, man. It was so much fun. I was watching it one day, and I actually uh, I tweeted something about it that David Hasselhoff was great, and he tweeted me back. He goes, you can be in the next one. I'm like, I'm, ke- I'm keeping you on that, Hasselhoff. Yeah, I'm I- sure they would love to have you. But I haven't heard of any uh, of, the, of the third one coming out. Well, I mean, it made so much money. They're just trying to figure out how to, how yeah. to you know, capitalize, I'm sure. <laughs> David, before I let you go, I want to know, what is your favorite movie that you've ever done? If you had to choose just one, uh, it's hard to do. It is very hard. I, you know what? I'd have to say probably Anchorman One because it was such a, a great experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, both one and two were fabulous, of course. But right. the one, the one is kind of special because of what it became. Yeah, and, uh, it was. You know, I, I've known all those guys for so long, and, and I'd known a lot of those guys before that picture. So that was pretty special. Yeah. Did you come up with the with the whammo, or was that in the script? I, I wish would it be something, right? <laughs> yeah, it was no, great. That was Adam and Will. They, uh, well, they, they was in the script. But such such a great movie to the point where everybody wanted to get involved in it. To like we were talking about the the battle scene in the new one. I mean, Harrison Ford is in there, turning yeah. into a, what is he a, a, a were a were hyena. A were... <laughs> oh yes. And what was your favorite SNL character that you did? Uh, probably T-Bones. Uh, the, uh, maybe, I don't know if you ever saw the Executioner sketch I did with, with Christopher Walken. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, a rangy carnival drifter. Uh, so yeah, that's probably my favorite. I always loved Bill Brasky. <laughs> oh, I love Bill Brasky. Yes. <laughs> yes, those were awesome. We always say that in the WWE locker room. Actually, John Cena, who's the big star in the WWE right now, he loves Bill Brasky. Oh, that's awesome. So there's been you many. Know, I did the show once in 1998. Mm-hmm. When they did, they had that that uh, there was going to be a boycott. Okay, and I I played the guy Brent Bozell or something like that. I don't know. Did you were you there when Tommy Blocka was? Yeah. Yes, Tommy's a great friend of mine. Oh, is he? He's and awesome. So I did two shows. I did one in Pittsburgh and one in Cincinnati, and I was I was picketing the show inside the arena. WWE shows? Yeah. No kidding. The WWF, right at the time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So what were you doing? You were picketing the show? I was picketing the show as a character, and then I would come up when, uh, was it Pimp Daddy? Yeah, would, yeah, Good Godfather. Would, yes, the guy would come in, and I would go bang my, my poster against the ring, and he, uh, 
he would tear it up and they would drag me away. Is that when there was like, they're called the right to censor or something like yeah. that? Oh, no kidding. But, I didn't know that. Yeah, then the issue got resolved and that was the end of my character. <laughs> it was, you spent even less time in the WWE than you did in SNL. <laughs> <laughs> David, it's been great to talk to you, man. And like I said, uh, unbelievable, uh, unbelievable performance in Cheap Thrills. Everybody needs to watch this movie. It is very disturbing, and you will not forget it. But it's an amazingly acted movie, and it's uh, happy for all your success, man. It's, it's been been great to spend some time with you today. Thank you, uh, an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. All right, we'll talk to you soon, Dave. All right, peace, brother. The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Talk is Jericho. All right, we are ready to hit the phone lines. I posted the number at Talk is Jericho on the Twitter. We want to know. We want to know, people. That last night was the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Who do you think should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2015? That's not in yet. Let's start it off with Gail in West Palm Beach. Hello, Gail. Hello, Chris. How are you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I want to know who you think should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that's not in yet. Well, definitely one of my favorite bands that deserve it, uh, Cheap Trick. Wow, good point. Good point. I agree with that. I agree with that. I think Cheap Trick should definitely be in. If you look at all the years that they've had, all the great hits, the fact they're still playing, still very uh, influential. I don't know why they're not in yet, but they should definitely be in uh, very, very soon. Well, thank you, Gail. Let's go over to uh, Mike in Virginia. Who do you think should be in that's not in, Mike? I think the Misfits, if not at least Glenn Danzig. Wow. that's And why do you think Misfits should be in? Because so many people, Chris, like Metallica, just different bands, they all say, you know, we're big Misfits fans growing up or whatever. And I think one day it'll be like Eddie Trunk said, as more of these people get in that have a voice with their vote once they're in, I think if, if not the Misfits, Glenn Danzig at some point. Well, yeah, it's like... It's like it's, so many different people. Yeah, it's like you said. Um, I mean, there there is only so many bands that are that big and that influential that, that there is out there. So sooner or later, when all of these other bands go in there, they're going to have to go in by proxy. Misfits are a little bit more obscure, but then again, if the Ramones went in... You could see why the Misfits should go in. You know, I, I, yeah, the whole the whole punk genre. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Punk is is not very well represented, besides Sex Pistols and Clash. But Misfits was a little bit darker than that. But they have a gimmick. That, I mean, one of the most iconic T-shirts that you can think of is right. definitely the Misfit T-shirt. So I, I I agree. I think if you know when it gets to the point where bands like Motorhead go in, I think Misfits will go in as well. I think Motorhead and Misfits are pretty much. Similar as far as um, influence and as far as longevity and as far as kind of underground street cred uh, that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is always looking for. Um, good call. Let's go over to Jay in Minnesota. Who do you think should be in, Jay? Well, for uh, Iron Maiden, I mean, that's like, there's no reason why Iron Maiden's not in there. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, Iron Maiden is kind of one of the the... 
I'm not going to say newer metal bands, but they don't, they haven't really given them much love to heavy metal. I mean, Black Sabbath made it in, Cooper made it in, this year Kiss made it in. So Black Sabbath, I mean, it took them 15 years well, to even consider that. And Kiss as well. You know, the, the, yeah. both of them were kind of like you know, fu by the time they got inducted. I think Maiden should be in there, um, as I think Priest should be in there, as I think Scorpions should be in there. But they haven't got to that 80s rock yet. I mean, besides Metallica, who are always kind of critical darlings. But you know when you when you have a rock and roll hall of fame that has Metallica in it, then definitely Maiden should be in it as well. And I think that they definitely at some point will be, but they haven't gotten to those type of bands yet. If you know what I mean. Well, they got to stop. They got to stop trying to put like rap artists in because rap really, you know, to me, it's not rock and roll. It's called. They should change it if they're going to put rap artists in. They should change the music hall of fame, not the. Well, I mean, I guess it's all an attitude. You know, rock and roll is more an attitude than anything is the way I always look at it. If you're looking at Run DMC or somebody like that, I mean, Public Enemy, they're very heavy, they're very angry, kind of what the whole concept of rock and roll is. And rock and roll means many things. You know, it's sometimes when they get kind of some of those reggae artists in there, it kind of strange to me, like when Jimmy, Jimmy Cliff got put in there, uh, you know, Madonna got put in there. That's kind of strange. But once again... I guess if you're looking at anybody that has a guitar line and a little bit of attitude, that could technically be called rock and roll. But I definitely agree with you that Iron Maiden should should be in there uh, as well. Anybody else? I'd say Deep Purple, obviously. Deep no, Purple's probably the biggest one for that. that, on the that water. Absolutely. To me, a couple years ago, the, the, the triumvirate that should have been in there was Rush, Kiss, and Deep Purple. And now Rush is in and Kiss is in. Deep Purple needs to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and the fact that they're not on any level is is almost worse than Kiss not being in. Over Smoke on the Water alone, uh, I mean, yeah. how, many, how many people that play guitar, that was their first Absolutely. Song that Just that riff alone should get them in there. Their longevity, their influence, the fact, I mean, there was the, they were the, there was the first heavy metal bands were Sabbath, Zeppelin, and Purple in all different genres. But like you said, just a wow, 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 wow. Every guitar player learns that riff first and foremost when they first form a band. So I definitely agree with you on that one. Deep Purple and Iron Maiden, both good choices, and both, I think, are, is inevitable that they'll both go in, especially Maiden, too, with their worldwide influence. I mean, Maiden plays stadiums to this day. How many bands play stadiums? Not not too many left anymore, and, and Maiden is one of them. So they, they should be in there just for that alone 35 years after they started. How about Richard in Michigan? What do you think, Rich? What's going on? What's going on, Chris? How you doing? Good, good. Who do you think should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that's not in yet? Def Leppard. Great call. I agree. Only on the fact that they did Pyromania and Hysteria are two of the biggest selling records of all time. Both of them coming in at over 10 million records sold uh, should get them in there as well. I mean, or no the doubt. Fact they have a one-armed drummer. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess. I mean, you know, the Doobie Brothers have two drummers. Does that necessarily mean they should be in there? But I think just for their longevity and the fact that they have uh, such a, uh, a legacy, an influence, and records sold, and they're still an arena act. So there, there's no reason, once again, inevitable that they should be in, in, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I think Motley Crue as well. I think Motley Crue, Bon Jovi. We were talking to an earlier caller. The reason why those bands aren't in there yet is they haven't got to that 80s metal Thing. I mean, Metallica made it, but if you look at the glaring omissions of Def Leppard, Motley Crue, uh, Bon Jovi, I mean, all of them still bona fide arena acts, huge headliners with, with dozens of hits uh, between the three of them. So I, I agree with you on that one. All right. We got Al over in Chicago. What's going on, Al? 
Hey, not too much, Chris. How are you? It's good a pleasure to talk to you, man. Hey, it's great to talk to you too, man. Who do you think should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that's not in yet? Um, you know what? Uh, I, uh, on a technicality, I know the Hall of Notes are finally getting it, but I think personally that John Oates' mustache deserves its own credibility. That is the most famous and amazing mustache in history. So you think it should be like the Beatles, where the Beatles went in and then McCartney went in on his own and Lennon and, and George went in on their own? So you think Hall and Oates went in, but now Oates' mustache should go in as well? Just on the his mustache, own? The, yeah, the, the, mustache, the mustachio was legendary, and it deserves its own accolade. Well, yeah, and, and, and Oates' mustache did a lot of great solo work as well, so I could go for that. You know, As a matter of fact, on, on next week's show, next Wednesday, we're going to have Oates' mustache on to discuss his uh, experiences at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I'll ask him if he feels he should be inducted uh, as a solo artist. Because, I mean, like you said, Oates' mustache is legendary uh, just from a, a look standpoint, from an influential standpoint, from all the, the legendary stories that he has. So uh, I think that's a, a pretty good point. So we'll, we'll ask Oates' mustache that and, and see what he says. So I appreciate the call, Al. We'll listen on Wednesday, and we'll find out if, uh, if he feels the same way as, as you do and as I do. Let, let's rock on over to Alex in Connecticut and see what he thinks. Hello? Alex, how you doing, man? I'm who, good. How are you? Good, thanks. Who do you think should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that, that missed out? That's not yeah. in. I'm going to have to say Motorhead because look at all the people he influenced in uh, hard rock and heavy metal. And like even Dave Grohl with Nirvana was heavily influenced by Lemmy. If Guns N' Roses can get in based on one album, Lemmy should get in based on his whole body of work. I agree. I, I definitely agree uh, on that. We mentioned earlier, somebody mentioned the Misfits, and I said, well, when, when Motorhead gets in, the Misfits should go in. I think the legendary status of Motorhead, the iconic status of Lemmy, all like you said, man. Everything across the board. You don't have to to convince me any longer. I think that Motorhead should definitely be in uh, more than 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 most. I think you're getting down to about twenty bands that need to really really be in there. And I think we've talked about Cheap Trick. We talked about Def Leppard, Bon Jovi, Motley Crue. Motorhead is one of them. Deep Purple, Journey, uh, Thin Lizzy, Ted Nugent. I mean, those are the, those are the rock bands that definitely deserve their time to get into the to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So that's a great choice, Alex. All right, thank you. All right, man. Let's end this off with Jacob in New Hampshire and see what he has to say. Jacob, who should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that's missed out? Hey, Chris. Uh, personally, I didn't know he just said it, but Ted Nugent is one of them, but Motorhead. Yeah, we, we, just had a, we just had a Motorhead, and I just mentioned Ted Nugent as well. I think you're right on both of those bands. Um both of them. I mean, Ted does not get the credit that he deserves for once again being one of the pioneers rock, rock guitar players. Uh, his gimmick, his character, everybody knows him. He's got legitimate uh, songs that are part of the pop culture here in the United States. So I definitely go with Ted Nugent for sure. I mean, the sound that both of those two brought in, even uh, Deep Purple, I mean, yeah. the sound they brought into the rock world, you couldn't exists without those yeah we mentioned deep purple earlier too absolutely the most glaring omission in the rock and roll hall of fame was definitely deep purple so uh yeah absolutely man a bunch of great choices there so we look forward to seeing what happens in 2015 with the rock and roll hall of fame last night's ceremony was amazing off the charts so many cool stories to tell we will discuss all those on wednesday along with oats's mustache to give his opinions on his induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And uh, I'm really excited to hear what he has to say. So thanks to all of you for calling, uh, for being part of 
Talk is Jericho, and also for linking to Amazon through the Talk is Jericho page at podcastone.com. Every time you do your shopping that way, Amazon kicks back a little cash to this show so I can keep bringing you the part of the now twice a week for free. Lots of stuff costs money. I finished a whole bottle of water while I was doing this show. That's 99 cents down the drain ski. Gotta be able to pay for that somehow, right? So, I appreciate you helping me out, and thanks also for hitting the download button and listening to this show. We know there's plenty to listen to, but if you like what you're hearing, tell a friend to check out the show as well, and tell them to tell a couple of friends, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. You can even hit that subscribe button at iTunes so you never miss an episode. The episode will go directly to your device on time for free. So, we appreciate you joining us today. We will see you Friday. Peace, love, hugs. God bless you all. Stay cool, stay hungry, stay heavy, stay hard. Yeah, boy! You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com.